You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to have you joining us. For those of you in person or watching online, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And you know what's really cool? Uh, Jason and Sheila Fisher, we just heard from there, one of our missionaries that we're supporting. Um, 21 years ago this summer, Mike, who was just up here, Mike Israel, myself and a team from this church went to El Salvador. Uh, Jason's dad pastored a church not too far from here. My dad pastored not too far from here. And uh, 21 years ago, we went to El Salvador on a missions trip, and uh, I would uh, say that was probably one of the largest catalysts to me coming back here one day as a youth pastor and now pastor. Uh, Jason and I grew up as pastor's kids in neighboring communities, went to Bible college. Him and Sheila both went to college with both of them, and uh, man, it's so neat to see. I just talked to Jason this week, and they are doing really good. They're almost to their uh, full support, to raise their full support to get on the mission field, be missionaries. This is awesome to see uh, just how God connects things, like 21 years, man, man, it makes me feel really old. Um, so uh, thank you guys for, for joining us. Uh, you know, uh, today we're continuing a series we started last week on Easter called Real Conversations. And um, I'm so excited about this month because we have the opportunity to talk about some things that unfortunately I don't think we talk about enough, uh, definitely in the church world. And uh, last week we talked about mistakes and how oftentimes our mistakes can define us and God sees us differently than that. And um, next week we're going to be talking about burnout. We have two uh, frontline medical professionals going to be with us. I'm going to be interviewing and we're talking about burnout and how we process burnout. And the end of this month uh, we have Brian Cuck. Uh, If you remember, Brian Cuck pastor a church in Reading, Pennsylvania. And a few years ago, uh, him and his wife were on a motorcycle ride on Sunday night uh, enjoying the beautiful weather in central PA. And a drunk driver crossed the middle line, went head on into their motorcycle, ended up on top of the motorcycle. Uh, Pastor Brian's wife was killed in that accident. He lost his left leg. And uh, we're going to be talking about the truth about suffering. What does it mean to suffer? You know, sometimes as followers of Jesus, we might have this idea that, well, we don't suffer. Like, Christians don't suffer. We rise above that. No, we do suffer. And I promise you, there are Christians all over the world suffering in the name of Jesus. What does it mean to suffer well? And today we're talking about the truth about mental illness. And, and I'll be honest, you know, as I've been preparing, and uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, Kayla Stecklin here in a minute, but uh, as I've been just preparing for this really for, for months, you know, this is a heavy topic. And um, I believe that God has something in store for each and every one of us today. And uh, what he has in store for us isn't like where the floodgates are opened or, you know, the, the prison cells are thrown open and the chains drop and, and this miraculous moment. Not that God can't do that because I, I believe he can, but I believe more likely what God does, because this is how God works, is he works small steps at a time that today is a step in the right direction. And, you know, we have this misperception, unfortunately, about faith. And the misperception we oftentimes have is that, that God is only concerned about one part of you. Like, if you're going to church, you're reading your Bible, like you've got this thing open, or you're praying, or, you know, you wear your cross around your neck, or you have your, you know, Jesus fish on the back of your car, um, and you only honk every so often at people, and um, you give people thumbs up, not the other finger, and, like, you're the good Christian, you know? Um, they, like, that's what God's most concerned about. If you do those things, then, then he's, he's fine. He doesn't really care about the rest of you. And, and I think that's a, a sad misperception because uh, really God doesn't just care about one part of you. And in fact, here, here's a simple thought that I want to share with you just briefly as we kind of set things up for our interview today, is that God cares about every part of you. He cares about every part. He cares about the big parts and the little parts. He cares about how, how you're doing physically and, and emotionally and mentally and financially and relationally and spiritually. He cares about every single part of you. In, in ancient Israel... Uh, There was this disease that uh, was very common. We see uh, mentioned throughout Scripture. And it was a disease really worse than COVID even. Uh, And in Scripture, it's referred to as leprosy. And the disease wasn't really fully understood at the time, but its effects were pretty uh, substantial. Uh, uh, What we see in Scripture and history is people would have sores all over their bodies and their, uh, their, their limbs and appendages would would start to rot, and, and for, for many of them would actually fall off. It was a pretty uh, disgusting disease. For people who were diagnosed with leprosy, they would, especially in Jewish, the Jewish community, um, they would be sent to live in a colony outside the city limits, outside of civilization. 
those people who were diagnosed with leprosy would no longer see their family ever again. Uh, they would never experience physical touch ever again. If they uh, encountered someone uh, along a road or a pathway, they would have to yell, unclean, 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 and the person would distance themselves. And it was a really uh, debilitating disease physically, but just as much so emotionally and mentally, because you, you basically lost contact with your support system, with everyone you love. You, you lost any kind of sign of physical touch. And in, in Matthew's gospel, we're given this glimpse of, uh, of a moment that Jesus encounters someone who has leprosy. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what it says. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Now, it was a pretty common thing. In verse 2, it says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, this is a pretty bold thing for this guy to do. Understand in a Jewish context, this was like out of bounds. You don't just walk up to someone. You had to yell, unclean, unclean. You, didn't, you weren't allowed to, to, to walk up to someone with lepro- when you had leprosy. And not only did he just walk up to a Jewish rabbi, an influencer, a respected man, he actually asked him to make him whole, to heal him which is a really bold, really bold statement. Um, now, uh, there was uh, uh, many times that Jesus healed people. You know, Jesus did a lot, uh, you see throughout the Gospels, and he, and he would do it in different ways. Sometimes it would be like through a word. He would say, man, that person is healed, and, the, and they'd be healed. And sometimes he'd ask them, like, go do something. And, and as they're doing what Jesus told them to do, they would be healed. Uh, but this time, Jesus took like a different approach. And it was a really shocking approach given the culture and the nature of what was transpiring. Here's what it says, the very next verse. Uh, It says in verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now, uh, when you've maybe read this, if you've read this before, maybe you haven't read this, like you could be like, okay, what's the big deal? He touched him and and so what? Uh, This was making Jesus ceremonially unclean uh, as a Jew. You don't touch a man with leprosy. And, and, and on top of that, th- this guy hadn't felt a physical touch probably in years for, for Jesus to reach out and touch the man. It's so powerful to me because it says something about how Jesus views us. It, it says that Jesus doesn't just see one part of us. You know, Jesus didn't just see the leprosy on this man. He saw the emotional and, 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 and mental impact of that leprosy. He hadn't felt physical touch. He hadn't had his mom give him a hug. He wasn't able to pick up his kids. He, he wasn't able to hold the hand of the one he loves. He, he hadn't felt that because he was a leper. And now Jesus in this moment is, is approached by the man and, and he's asked if he can heal him. And what does he do? He doesn't say be healed. He could have done that. He doesn't say, and he does this with another group of lepers that come to him, go show yourself to the priest and, and on their way they'd be healed. Like He did that at another time. He could have done that, but he didn't. He stops and it says, and he touches the man. He, I can't imagine what it must have felt like for that man, for this rabbi, to not just say yes, answer his request, but to physically touch him. And, and it goes on. And it says, Jesus says, I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and get offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See, here, here's the deal. When, when God looks at us, he doesn't just see what you can do for him. I, I know we see that in, in our world, in your workplace, maybe in your family, your friends, that maybe people view you through this lens of what you can do for them. You know, if you're going to be a good employee or you're going to be a good friend or uh, whatever it may be. And they view you through what you can do for them. God doesn't view you, he doesn't view me through the lens of what we can do for you. He doesn't view you through one specific piece of who you are, just that you're spiritually well. He wants you to be physically well. That, 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 that your physical body is well taken care of. He wants you to be physically well. He wants you to be relationally well. That's why we talk so much about groups and being connected relationally because God cares about your relationships. They're a big part of who you are and how he made you. He cares about you financially. 
You know, not that we're all going to be rich and wealthy and, and have everything we possibly could ever want. Like, if you want that big, uh, brand new car or SUV or that nice boat or, or you want that vacation home, just say it and God's going to give it to you because he wants you to have everything you want. That's not the God we see in Scripture and that's not what God wants, but he wants you to be financially healthy. That's why we have groups like Financial Peace University. That's why we, we, we talk about every year what it means to be a good steward of what God has given us. Because he wants you to be financially healthy. But he also wants you to be mentally and emotionally healthy. Did you know that? God cares about every part of you. Maybe that's a new idea for you. Maybe you're like, I'm not used to church and I thought God only cared about my money or he only cared about me being in church. Can I tell you, um, those things are important to God, but they're not near, near the top. God cares about you. He cares about you holistically, the whole picture of you. In John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, he didn't just say life spiritually, he didn't just say life uh, financially, he didn't just say life relationally, he said that you might have life to the full, the full holistic picture. That's what God in, in, intends for you. He, uh, when he wired you and he fearfully and wonderfully made you in your mother's womb, he made a full picture, and he saw this full potential that he wants to see. And, and for some of us today, um, we might be doing well over here, but we're not doing so well here. And when it comes to, to our mental health, to our emotional health, um, we have not done a good job as pastors and in churches shining the light on this enough. And, and consequently, a lot of people uh, walk around following Jesus, giving it their very best, only operating at half capacity because they were told, well, you're not emotionally in the right place or mentally in the right place. You can't be used by God. And, and God has a whole picture. He uses all of us and he loves all of us and he cares about every part of us. And, and my hope today, we're gonna invite uh, Kayla up here in a minute, but my hope today uh, is that maybe the curtain might be pulled back in your life a little bit, that you'd be willing to say, you know what? Maybe I need to talk to someone. Maybe, maybe this isn't something that has to be so taboo that I can't open up about. Maybe this is something I can invite someone else into my pain, into my struggle, and find help, and find healing. Did you know that God can bring healing in your life through another person? I mean, that's shocking. That God can actually use another person, even a trained professional, like a counselor or a therapist, to bring healing into your life. And, and that's what I, I hope we can kind of land on today. I hope that uh, the, the conversation we have today can maybe help you process and maybe you even help people in your own life and your family and your circle of, of influence to make a difference. So uh, with that said, I want to invite Kayla Stecklin up here this morning. If you can give it up for Kayla, we're going to talk a little about her and Kayla, thank you so much for being with us today, and um, it does lean back far. Um, uh, tell us a little about your boys. If, uh, if, if you aren't following Kayla on Instagram, uh, we'll get to talk about that later, but uh, she's always posting pictures of her boys and so many cool things. Tell us a little about your family uh, real quick. I have three beautiful blue-eyed boys. My oldest son's name is Smith, and he's eight. Uh, my middle son's name is Jethro. We call him Jet, and he is such a Jet. <laughs> and he's um, six. And then my youngest son is Brave, and he's four. So what, what are some of the things they enjoy doing? Yeah, right now we're playing baseball. Uh, my oldest and my middle son, it's both their first seasons playing baseball, so it's been super fun. My oldest son is pitching, and he's crushing it. It's so fun to watch him. They're into surfing. We live by the beach. They, li they like to surf and boogie board and be in the water. They're really into skateboarding, so we're, like, constantly at the skate park, and they're trying to show me their ollies and their nollies and their <laughs> kickflips and all the things. That's so, pretty cool. Super fun. Yeah. They're learning to snowboard and everything. Yeah, and snowboarding and skiing. We're trying. Cool. It's boys. It like, it's, it's just nonstop, yeah. go, 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 outside all the time. Really cool. Super fun, yeah. Well, real quick, before we get started, we got something for your boys, for all three of them. So, we got, um, I apologize the team that this represents, but this is Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> for those that are from here, they understand. I know one of your sons plays for the Pirates, which is cool, in Little yeah. League, so that's really neat. So, we got three Pirates hats. These are fitted hats, like the nice ones, and they're kid size. Thank so you. We got one Those for all three sizes the big one, little one, and middle one. 
so fun. We can all sport and sport them on a Saturdays and support Jet. There you it's go. Perfect. There you yeah, go. Thank you. I uh, want to give those to you for your boys. Just appreciate uh, your boys giving up their mom for the weekend to be with us thank all the way out here on the other coast. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much. So tell us, tell us a little about kind of your journey, your, your husband, Andrew, and, and uh, kind of how everything transpired with him. Yeah. Yeah, so Andrew and I met at a little Christian college called Vanguard University in Southern California, and he actually asked for my phone number over Facebook. It was before Instagram, like, even existed, and I'll never forget his Facebook profile picture. He was sitting on a fixed gear bike. He was flexing his muscles, like, showing off, like, the two tattoos that he had, and he was super hot. Like, I was just, like, drawn in right away and couldn't believe that this guy wanted to take me on a date. So he took me on a date, and we fell in love super fast. We were kissing in the rain after a Coldplay concert by our third date. And a year later, he asked me to marry him. And a year after that, in December 2010, we got married. And Andrew was um, born and raised in the church, similar to you. His dad was a pastor. They had started the church when he was three years old. And so Andrew felt called to ministry as well. So he was actually the junior high pastor when I met him. And when we got married, we just jumped right in, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was not raised as a PK, so it was a whole new world for me. And about a year into our marriage, um, his father was diagnosed with leukemia, and so it really rattled our church and rattled our family, and we began this four-year journey of leukemia. And towards the end of his dad's health journey, as his health um, started to majorly decline, Andrew was handed the official baton of leadership and became the lead pastor of our church. And it was this really powerful service. His dad was wheeled onto the stage in a wheelchair. He had a baton that was engraved. He passed it off to his son. We all prayed over him. It was so powerful. I'll never forget that day. And so a few months later in October 2015, his dad passed away and Andrew just kept on going. His heart was for the church. He was passionate about the church. He kind of put his grief to the wayside to be there for them. And so he came back just two weeks later and preached an incredible series on heaven. And that's just who he was. He was driven. He had a drive for excellence. He cared so much about the local church. He was workaholic, worked a ton. And it wasn't until the fall of 2017 that all of that kind of caught up with him. And he started suffering from panic attacks. And these panic attacks were happening about three to four times a week. And if you've ever had a panic attack or witnessed a panic attack, then you just know how debilitating they are. Um, his would mostly come on at night, and it, he would be uh, curled up in the fetal position on the floor, trembling, pacing around our house, like doing whatever he could to get them to go away. And it was terrifying. I mean, I could just look in his eyes, and his eyes would be glazed over, and he would be gone, and there wasn't much I could do to help. And so we were trying to get to the bottom of those and figure out where they were coming from and what was going on. And mental health and mental illness wasn't the first thing on our radar. It wasn't something that we initially thought was the problem. Um, so we were seeing doctors, thought maybe it was his thyroid, and we were doing blood work, and he kept suffering, and he kept pushing through and working through that. Um, in April 2018 is when he had a final panic attack that landed him in the hospital, and it was then that we were like, okay, it's been like six months of this. Enough is enough. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's causing these, but he can't suffer like this anymore. He can't keep on working. He can't keep on showing up on Sunday, and so we put him on a sabbatical, and just a few weeks later, we're sitting in a psychiatrist's office, and the psychiatrist turns and looks at me and says, your husband has depression. And I was really shocked. Like, I'll never forget that moment. I was truly shocked, stunned. I just never thought that depression would be part of our story, part of our journey, part of our life. And so we started this journey with it. And it was a really hard summer. Um, Andrew's depression manifested itself in anger often. It man manifested itself in um, irritability, and he would withdraw. And so I never really knew who I was going to get coming out of the bedroom each day 
and we had three young boys at the time. They were two, four, and five. And so I was kind of torn between being caretaker to my boys, I mean, mother to my boys and caretaker to my husband. And so it was a very difficult summer, um, but we were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. He was seeing a psychiatrist. He was taking medication. He did solo trips to go spend time with God. We did a two-week road trip, just the two of us. We were seeing a therapist for two hours every week. Like, you name it, we tried it. We weren't squandering our time. We really were trying to do everything we could to get him better. And by the end of the summer, the doctors actually thought he was getting better. And so he was released to go back to work, and he hit the ground running on August 1st, 2018, and he gave two powerful messages, two weekends on mental illness. And he was talking about depression. He was talking about suicide. He gave out the suicide hotline number. He quoted statistics from the NAMI website. Like he would have known where to go for help. And he was helping a lot of people. People were so glad he was back. He got a standing ovation. People were sitting on the floor. Church was packed. Like he had the full support of our community. And it was really special. It was really powerful. And then headed into the third weekend, he had a really awful day at the office, and his mind wasn't fully well. His mind was still broken. He had told our staff and told our family that he was at about 65% and was hoping to ease back into ministry over time. And so his broken mind couldn't process some information that he received that day, and he just spiraled. And so I knew um, right away, like, whoa, 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 maybe he wasn't ready to go back to work. Maybe we need more time off. Maybe he's not even cut out for this gig. Like, maybe it's just too much pressure, too much stress for him. Like, we just need to step back and reevaluate. And so the next day, while we were away from him for a little bit, making phone calls, planning a guest speaker for Sunday, doing the things we needed to do to take care of him, he attempted suicide. And it was absolutely shocking. Um, That moment was absolutely shocking and horrific and earth-shattering, and it's still just as shocking to sit on a stage um, this morning and say that. I mean, I'm sitting in the front row, and I'm having flashbacks of sitting in the front row watching him do church, and I still can't believe that that happened. And so he was rushed to the hospital, and they ran a bunch of tests, and unfortunately, there was nothing that they could do. And so God gave us the gift of one last day with him, and I got to hold him and play his favorite worship songs and ask and beg God for a miracle and just be there with him and say, goodbye. And so on August 25th, 2018, he took his last breath. And with that, I took my first in a life that I never saw coming as a single mom and widow. So sorry you had to walk through that. And I know it's painful to even share. And, uh, you know, my hope today isn't to uh, lay all of your pain out there, but that um, some of your journey, you and Andrew both, that we can learn from it. And, and that we uh, can, can see some steps maybe we can take here uh, for our family members or for ourselves to find health, find wholeness. Looking back and all that transpired, you know, from, from Andrew's dad passing away and, and uh, just where his kind of mental place went, what are some things that you see now that kind of red flags, kind of triggers along the way that um, stand out? Looking hindsight, you may have missed it at that, at that moment. There's so much we missed. I mean, there's, in hindsight, there's so much we missed. I think that Andrew's struggle with depression and anxiety actually started years before when his hero, the guy that he looked up to the most, was dying right before his eyes and and battling leukemia, and Andrew was struggling to get out of bed. And I didn't correlate his struggle of getting out of bed with um, depression, but he really struggled for a while to make it into the office and to get out of bed, but he would always do it. He would always somehow find a way to do it, and he would get on stage and speak on Sunday, and so I think I just assumed, like, he's got this, and he's okay, and we're going to be okay, and we're going to get through this. We're going to push through this, and it was kind of our family's way. The Steckline way was just to show up and to push through, which I don't think is always the most healthy way, Um, but we would kind of just show up and grab our bootstraps and just go, and his dad was doing the same thing, too, so it was modeled to him to do that. His dad was battling leukemia, and there 
there would be weekends where he would be in the hospital on Saturday night and be released to come home and then get on stage and speak on Sunday while he was battling leukemia. So it was kind of modeled to him to just keep going and don't stop and put the church first. And so I think we made a lot of mistakes along the way with that, and and we weren't um, tending to the health of Andrew and the health of his dad um, as much as we should have. So I think there were some lights on the dashboard going off a lot sooner um, than the inevitable burnout. And I think if he would have even taken some time, if the board would have recommended that he take some time to grieve the loss of his dad and not show up and give the incredible series on heaven, but actually maybe take six months off of work and take a sabbatical and take time to grieve the incredible loss that he suffered, um, I think, you know, we might have had a different outcome. Um, And if we would have caught the depression sooner and uh, maybe sought help with a therapist or even the psychiatrist sooner, um, might have had a different outcome as well. I I know uh, I shared, we had a a, a gathering some pastors and spouses last night. And um, over the last two years, you know, I've gone through my own struggles and challenges, losing my dad, similar to Andrew, and and uh, um, have made it a point regularly to see a therapist. And some of you are like, I can't go to a church where the pastor sees a therapist. That's horrible. And like, well, I'm sorry. You can go somewhere else. But um, <laughs> you're stuck with me. Um, but I've found the health of that, of processing and having someone that's just there to listen and help, help you navigate emotions and everything that's going on in your head and your heart. Um, what are some kind of, of things on those dashboard you mentioned that you'd say, hey, these are some real, like you need to, you need to reach out and find someone. What are some of those dashboard, anything specifically? Yeah, um, for, in my experience with Andrew, a major one was isolation. Um, He would isolate. He would socially isolate. He would um, cancel plans with friends. He would cancel plans with family. He would be full of anxiety before people came over to our home. Um, And I think I just, I thought that some of those things were personality, but then they grew over time, and and I didn't even see it. But isolation was a major one. Exhaustion um, was another one in those seasons when it was really, difficult for him to get out of bed, not like a normal exhaustion, but like an over-exhaustion. Um, so an irritability was also another one with Andrew, which we don't often correlate with depression. I think we think that, you know, depression is correlated with sadness and withdrawnness, which it is, um, but oftentimes it's irritability as well, where he would be more agitated and more irritable um, than he would normally be. Yeah. I've watched a lot of interviews that you've given, you know, on Instagram and YouTube and podcasts and all of this, um, and you've just shown uh, such incredible strength and depth. I, I mean, just all that you've walked through to be leading three boys and caring for them. What, what has helped you make it through this difficult time personally? Therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Therapy has been a huge part of my journey as well. I've seen a therapist every single week for the last two and a half years. And that's been a major part of my journey to have that space to go and like lay on her couch and cry and vent and yell and get out every single kind of emotion I need to get out without worrying about um, what she's going to think of me or worrying about how it's going to affect my social life. Um, I also have a great community. I have a great circle of friends that I do life with. And so they've really been there for me and they've been with me. I mean, the kind of friends that when I'm sitting on the floor weeping, they're holding me and they're weeping with me. And I felt that love for my community um, so much and I've been so grateful. And then my faith. I mean, God has carried me through this. Um, I have seen the hand of God in my pain more than I've seen the hand of God at any other time in my life. Like God is so close to the brokenhearted. That verse that says he's near to the brokenhearted and comforts those who are crushed in spirit. Like it could not be more true. I mean, it's just so true. I just fell into the arms of God and he caught me and he's carried me and he's been carrying me every single day. So my faith has been a huge part of my journey as well. And it's, it's not this like 
like beautiful, perfect faith. It's like this wrestling with God of this falling into the arms of the guy that allowed this to happen. Like, God, you allowed this to happen, and I don't know why you allowed this to happen, but I still trust you, and I trust that you can use this for good, and I trust that you can use this to save lives, and I don't know why you've handed me this microphone, but I trust that you're going to reach out and that you're going to help somebody through this. And so I've been leaning in to that, and that's really helped me a lot too. What is it, our, our fascination, maybe it's American church, I don't know, with a perfect faith, like that we can have the white picket fence, Christianity, that everything just fits magically. Our kids just like do what we ask them to do and uh, our lives just all fall into place and we have this happy marriage and happy life and go off in the sunset. Like what is it that, that we have this like perception of this and then there's this messy life happens and sometimes... We can't reconcile our faith. What do you think the struggle of that is? I think it's expectation versus reality. I think we grow up having this expectation of what our life's going to be, and then reality comes and slaps us in the face. But I think we want that. We want the white picket fence. We want the husband or wife and the two kids and the dog and the perfect home. Like, we want that American dream. And I think that um, the messy stuff is harder to talk about. The messy stuff is uncomfortable. The messy stuff, it feels naked. I mean, oftentimes, like, sitting on a stage like this, it can feel naked. It can feel vulnerable. It can feel like this raw, scary thing. And so I think oftentimes we kind of stiff arm um, our pain. We stiff arm the messy parts and we aren't as easily um, as close to those parts or willing to share those parts. And so we superficially in, in our small groups or our time with friends say, how are you? Oh, everything's good. Everything's great. I'm doing this. We're doing that. It's all good. When like behind closed doors, it's actually not good. Mm-hmm. I think oftentimes um, it's just uncomfortable, so yeah. we're not comfortable sharing those things. Oftentimes when that, when that reality hits, a lot of people lose their faith in that moment. What, what kept you from doing that? God was just so near, and he was so present. Um, our family, when Andrew's dad was diagnosed, we created this blog called God's Got This, and that's kind of been our anthem and our lifeline and our hope through all of this, through his dad's leukemia journey. I really think his leukemia journey kind of prepared me for this as well, because we were trusting God through all of that, and his dad died, and we were still saying God's got this no matter what, and then Andrew was struggling with depression, and then he ended up dying, and we're still saying. God's got this no matter what. And so I've leaned hard into that phrase. I've I've grabbed hold of that and it's meant so much to me that God is sovereign no matter what, that God is good no matter what, that this horrible, ugly, horrific thing could happen and that God can use it for good and that my life can still be beautiful. Um, so it's been everything. I mean, my faith has been everything. That's awesome. Yeah. In, in, uh, in church circles, at least, sometimes there's a really blurred line between spiritual health and mental health. And sometimes we uh, mix them up. Okay, from, from, just from your experience, what are the differences uh, between spiritual health, mental health? How do we confuse those? Yeah, I think it's, it can be hard to differentiate the two because we're spiritual beings. So we're spiritual beings, so of course our mental health and our spiritual health, they're going to be intertwined. Um, for Andrew's journey, um, he did struggle with um, spiritual warfare as well. I, I wrote a book about our story, and there's a whole chapter called Stranger Things that talks about this dark spiritual warfare that was happening in his mind, that was happening in our home, um, that I honestly felt just this darkness in our home as well. And so I would say that's a real tangible part of um, some people's mental health journey. Um, but there's also a real physical component to it too. Like he had a real physical chemical imbalance happening in his brain and that's important to pay attention to as well so we need both um, the the prayers and the prayers for healing and the time with God and like those things and then we also need time with the professionals and sometimes medication and therapy and those things as well so it's a both and um, and I think sometimes mental illness gets over spiritualized and we think it's only a spiritual thing and we think oh you should just pray if you pray more or read your Bible more or spend more time at church or join a small group, like your depression's all of a sudden gonna be gone. Mm -hmm. 
And if someone said that to you, I am so sorry that they said that to you because that could not be further from the truth. Like maybe sometimes God does that. I believe God can do that. Um, But I also believe that for everyone's mental illness journey, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's all gray. It's not black and white. What works for you may not work for me. So I think we need to have more empathy. I mean, empathy is um, an action word. It's crawling into each other's pain and being willing to sit with them and not just like slapping a Bible verse on it and not just saying pray more and not just saying get over it, but actually sitting with them in their pain long enough to get a glimpse of what life is like from their point of view. How do you see, I've seen this a lot of times just being a pastor's kid, been around church my whole life, um, where people assume, well, if someone isn't healthy mentally, they probably aren't uh, mature spiritually. Mm. Like the two coincide. you can't be spiritually mature and mentally unhealthy. Uh, how have you seen that uh, do damage in the church? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not true. It's yeah. just plain not true. And for me, it's been really helpful to put mental illness in the same category as any other physical illness. So it'd be like saying, hey, you have COVID. Um, you, you're not qualified to be a pastor anymore because you got COVID. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's the same kind of illness as any other kind of illness. And so it should be treated with the same tender care and empathy and compassion and meal trains and, you know, all the things that we do for all the other health complications, um, mental illness should be treated the same. That's good. What are some of the things as you walk through your journey that uh, people have done or said that haven't helped, mm-hmm. have not helped on the journey? I think there's a lot of like cliche things that people say, like time heals all wounds and um, other cliche things like that, that maybe you've heard that you have said to somebody or even those Bible verses that maybe um, you think are helpful, um, but just aren't. Um, I think sometimes we don't know what to say. And so we try to just fill the space with words and we end up saying the wrong thing. Um, so some, some of those things, I think, were some of the things that rubbed me the wrong way. But I've been so grateful um, to mostly be surrounded with just genuine love and care and support. Um, but if you're walking alongside somebody that's suffering, I honestly think the best thing that you can give them is your presence. I mean, you don't need to come with the right words. You don't need to come with an agenda. You don't need to come with a list of questions. Like, just come and give them your presence and sit with them and hold them and cry with them and look them in the eyes and listen to them. Like maybe that's the best thing that we can give each other when we're suffering. For, for someone that might be walking through a uh, struggle with suicide with a family member, a loved one, a friend, what advice would you give them? What would you say, uh, in, just from your experience, things you learned and things you'd say, hey, I need to do this differently or you should do this? There was one time that Andrew mentioned suicide, and I'll never forget it. Um, It was late at night. The kids had gone to bed, and I was just beat. I was so exhausted. We're sitting at the kitchen counter, and I'm venting to him, trying to get some empathy from him, telling him how tired I am and how hard it's been and how exhausted I am. And his response to me um, was, Kayla, I was up in the middle of the night last night, and I had my staff organization charts spread all over the kitchen counter and I thought about killing myself. And because I was looking for empathy and compassion in that moment, I was so frustrated. I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. Like, I just want you to see me. And he's telling me he's going to leave me. And so in that moment, I reacted out of my emotion. And I said, Andrew, that's the most selfish thing you could ever do. You would never do that to me and the kids. And I just responded from my own brokenness and my own exhaustion instead of leaning in and listening. So now, in hindsight, I know better. um, And I know that's not the right response. And he told me in that moment, Kayla, that's not the right response. Like you need to do some research. You need to come up with something better to say. That's not what you say to someone that's struggling with suicidal thoughts. And he was right. And so now I've learned when, if someone tells you that they're struggling with suicide or they're thinking about killing themselves, like it is time to lean in. It's time to talk less. It's time to let them vent, let them talk. It's time to listen. It's time to ask questions, questions like, do you have a suicide plan? What problem are you trying to solve through suicide? Have you Googled it? Have you researched it? How would you do it? It's time to call the suicide hotline number. I wish I would have in that moment 
picked up the phone and dialed the suicide hotline number. I mean, there are resources available to help us navigate conversations like that. And I also wish I would have taken it seriously. Um, I honestly just brushed it off like it was not a big deal, assumed that it would never happen, and it did. Um, And they statistically say that when people attempt suicide or die by suicide, they've usually talked about it at least once before. And so that one opportunity may be your only opportunity to save a life. And so it's time to take it seriously. It's time to fill in the team around you. It's time to tell your friends and tell your loved ones and tell, I wish I would have told his family and tell the psychiatrist and tell the therapist and include other people in on the conversation so you're not the only one carrying the burden of caring for their mental really health. You said uh, over the last couple of years, you know, you've been seeing a therapist yourself. How have you seen that help you as a mother and help your boys? I know it's not your boys, but it's you, but how have you seen that practice just improve, uh, going through a horrific, horrible situation, improve just the health of your own family and you as a mom? Yeah, thank God my boys are thriving. Like, they are doing so well. And you honestly wouldn't know the trauma that they've suffered if you didn't know. And therapy has been a huge part of that. And I think just having that safe space to go and let my hair down and get out whatever I need to get out. If my kids are driving me crazy, I can say that. If I'm struggling with my faith, I can say that. If I'm struggling with my own suicidal thoughts, because I did for a season in my grief, struggle with my own mental health and depression and suicidal thoughts because the pain was so overwhelming that I didn't know if I could live with it for another day. So to have that safe space where I could go with her and I could say without any judgment or worry of judgment, hey, I'm struggling with suicidal thoughts. Um, so it was, it was so helpful and so needed, and I'm so grateful for my therapist and so grateful for that safe space that I didn't have with anybody else. One, a couple of last questions here. Um, I've heard you mention this a number of times today, but even before, that Andrew died by suicide. Explain that phrase and how you word that, because I think it's really important for people to hear that. Yeah, before he passed away, um, I was familiar with the phrase committed suicide, and I've been so careful now to change my language because the word committed is a word that we attach to phrases like committed a sin or committed a crime, and that all that word does is heap shame and blame onto the shoulders of the person who died, and I genuinely believe that the suicide wasn't a decision, that the suicide is not Andrew's fault, that he was overwhelmed with unbelievable pain that I will never be able to understand. I've heard um, suicide described as being trapped in a burning building and the only way to escape the flames is to jump out of the window. He was overwhelmed with pain and his death is not anybody's fault. It's not his fault. It's not my fault. It's not the medication's fault. It's not the doctor's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's a tragedy and nobody's to blame. And so the phrase died by suicide um, helps me communicate that, that this was a tragedy. This was wasn't anybody's fault. It shouldn't have happened. Um, so it's been super helpful. That's that good. little change. It's yeah. really good. If, if someone were watching today or here today and they find themselves really relating to what Andrew walked through, they're like, man, I see. I mean, I remember just this past winter, um, uh, I was trapped on Route 30 because a trailer truck was going up the hill and got stuck and I'm sitting there for two hours. And so I'm listening to this podcast interview with you and, and Carrie Newoff. And uh, I remember just listening, and it felt like you were just reading my mail and, like, things you're saying. I'm like, wow, I can so relate to what you're talking about. Um, if someone were here today or watching, and they're like, man, I, I understand. I'm, I, I feel like I'm where Andrew was, or I'm, I'm moving in that direction. What would you say to them? What would you encourage them to do? I would say if you haven't told anybody, tell somebody. And if you don't feel like you have anybody that you can tell, then get online, go to psychologytoday.com, put in your zip code, and find a therapist. You have to tell somebody. You cannot live with those thoughts um, and that pain alone. Like You were never meant to carry that burden and that pain alone, and you don't have to carry it alone. And there are people that want to carry it with you. There are people that want to help you. And if you don't feel like you have those people around around you, then a therapist is a great resource for that help. So reach out to somebody. You don't have to do it alone. You are not alone, and you are loved, and you are perfect, and you are precious just the way you are. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, locally, if you're looking, 
Grace Wellness is right across the street. It's local, and they have locations around. Christian Counseling Associates, Western PA. Reach out to someone. Even, uh, right, if you're in person in the pew, there's a care card. There's a question on the back of that, how can we care for you? Let us know. We'll, we, we're not professional counselors, and we're not going to try to be that, but we'll sit down and talk to you and help you find uh, help. Um, we don't want you to go through this alone. This is what we talked about. God cares about every part of who you are. He doesn't just care about that your butt's in a seat at church or, um, or that you're serving on a team. That's important, but God cares about every part of you, that, that he cares about your financial, your spiritual, and your mental health, and that's so important. Uh, Kayla, thank you so much for uh, just being raw with us and honest, and uh, I know this isn't easy, but I so appreciate you took the time to just share your story with us, and, and I know for us as a church, this is such a healing opportunity for us to be able to talk about this and to kind of put this on the, on the table and, and discuss it. Um, if people want to stay in touch with you, how, how could they stay in contact with you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been such a joy yeah. and such an honor. I got to have pierogies. I got to have pierogies. I had sheets. Sheets. <laughs> the sheets experience. Everyone's like, oh, I can't believe that's what you had. She got in late Friday night. night. She got in late Friday night. Yeah. Right. Um, but my Instagram is the best way. I'm on there the most. And my Instagram handle is Kayla Steck. Um, I just launched a podcast. It's called Rebuilding Beautiful. The first episode drops on Wednesday. The trailer's live on anywhere you can listen to podcasts and I wrote a book it's called Fear Gone Wild and you can pick it up um, most everywhere books are sold Amazon's a great way to find it it's a great book uh, really encourage you pick it up and uh, I think on Amazon right now it's like five it's bucks right it's like five bucks right now on Amazon so we want to pick that up thank you so much for, for being with us and and kind of as we wrap up today guys this is like a uh, you know how do you how do you close up a conversation like this um, I, I want to just share with you that God loves you so much. And, and that might sound incredibly, incredibly cliche. And I don't mean that to be a cliche statement. I mean that he loves the deepest, darkest, ugliest, messiest parts of who you are. And uh, if you're here today or maybe you're you know, watching online and you're like, I am uh, so angry at God because of how I am and what I struggle with it. I have this anxiety, this depression that I can't sleep at night. I, I can't love my kids the way I want to. I can't love my spouse the way I want to. I, I can't do my job the way I want to. I, I feel like I'm not functioning the way I want, and I'm angry at God, and I can't ever, ever breach the thought of loving a God that would put this inside of me or make me this way or, or put this in my life. And, 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 and I understand, I understand that idea and that perception, that, that the feeling that you have. Can I tell you, in spite of that and through that, God is wanting to wrap his incredible loving arms around you. Just as we read Matthew 8, Jesus is wanting to reach down and just touch you. Just to let you know that he loves you and he cares about you. Not, not to, to, to uh, make you do something for him. Not to, because, because you can become a valuable asset for him. But because he created you. He formed you. He shaped you. And he cares about you. And, and if you've never even uh, taken a step to, to, to respond to the love of God, of the immense, deep, overarching, unconditional love of God, I would encourage you today, whether it be, you know, uh, right now or, or, or after you go home today or for those, you know, after you are watching online, after you get off the, the live stream, I encourage you, just to ask God this question. God, will you show me your love and make yourself known to me? Ask the question. That's all I'm asking. And then sit back over the next coming days and watch God do that. Because he will. He will make himself known because he wants so very much for you to know that you are not alone, that the prison you might find yourself in, that you feel like you're trapped in, God wants to meet you in that place. He wants to meet you there and to to let you know he cares about you and he feels the pain that you walk through and that you don't do it alone. And beyond that, as a church, that's why we're part of a church family. That's why the, the, the analogy throughout the New Testament is used of the church is that we are a family, that we are a family of God. We are here to cry with you, to pray with you, to just listen we are here 
whether it be uh, me as a pastor or a small group leader or, or, or anyone, that's what we're here to do. You don't, have, you don't have to have a master's degree in counseling to just sit and cry and listen. That's what we're here to practice the ministry of presence. We're here to cry with you and to, to support you. And I just want you to know that God loves you. He cares about you. And if you have never taken that step to respond to God's love, ask yourself that question. Ask God that question. God, God show, will you show me your love and make yourself known to me? And if you see God do that, I encourage you, take another step. Take another step. Maybe tell someone, hey, how, what does it mean to respond to the love of God? If you go, uh, we mentioned this earlier, to connect.calvaryerwin.com, there's a little tab. I'm committing my life to Jesus. I'm not saying you have to commit your life to Jesus, but if you're saying, hey, I want to get more questions about that, fill that, click that tab, fill it out. If you're here in person, there's a connect card. Feel free. Meet with a pastor. You can mark that down. Or I want to get more information about this. Write that down. Drop it in the giving box. Take it to the connection center. Let us know. We're here to help you on the journey. The reason we're having these conversations isn't just to fill space. The reason we're having these conversations is because we genuinely want to shine the light in dark corners of our lives and our world that are too far, uh, too, too many times overlooked and ignored. And I believe that Jesus cares about every part of you. Would you bow your heads as we just pray this morning? Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your compassion. God, for your love, for your presence. God, I thank you that you don't uh, banish us, overlook us, or, or consider us less of, who, less, less of a person because of the struggles that we have. But God, that you love us and you see us in our pain and you want to meet us in that place. God, I pray for those of us that maybe we put barriers or walls up that, that keep you out, Lord. God, that we could maybe just give a, crack the door a little bit and let you in. Just to let, let the love you have, the care you have for us, Lord, touch the broken parts of our hearts. God, I thank you for, for Kayla, and God, I pray you would just be with her as she, God, goes home to her boys. You would just bless her boys this weekend, Lord, giving up their mom for the weekend, Lord. I pray Lord, you would just strengthen them and sustain them in the days and weeks to come, Lord, even in the things you have in store for Kayla with her podcast and her book and interviews and so many different opportunities to, 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 to share on a platform. I pray that you would just bless, Lord, her influence and God, use her, Lord, to, to be able to bring healing into people's hearts and lives. God, I pray as we walk throughout this week at work, at school, at, uh, in our neighborhood, in the grocery store, wherever we might find ourselves, God, let us be more aware of the hurt and the pain that people have. God, let us be more aware of the brokenness around us. God, let us be more aware, God, of those that are struggling. And Lord, I pray you would help us to be, be agents of healing in our world. God, for those of us who are struggling, let us be willing to have the courage to reach out and to find a person that can help us find healing. God, strengthen us, and Lord, let us show your love, your grace to a, so, a world that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for, for joining us here today. And uh, man, it's such an honor always to get to gather and to, uh, to talk and to worship together. And uh, as I mentioned, next week, we're going to be talking about the truth about burnout and then the week after that, truth about suffering. And invite a friend or maybe just share the live stream with a friend and let them know these are conversations that aren't just meant for the church. They're meant for our community, our region. They're meant for the world outside these walls. And uh, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus or a believer or uh, a Christian or whatever word you want to use to be part of that conversation. Invite someone because these are things that uh, over this last year especially we have seen become more and more prevalent and these are things that we need to talk about uh, as a society. So I hope you can invite someone. Uh, enjoy uh, your beautiful afternoon. Hopefully it's not raining anymore and get your grass cut and we will see you guys next Sunday. Have a great week. God bless you guys. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. 
On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 